songs another to lift our voices and just and tell him in our own words would you do that this morning would you just begin to tell him welcome him invite him to do what he wants to do in your heart in your life in this place here he's here he's here today just talk to him just pour out your heart to him today lord we thank you for who you are God, we thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you for what you're doing now. You're moving, God. Have your way. Have your way here today. We want everything that you have for us. Would you draw us to you, that's here in this place. We thank you that you're here because your desire is a relationship with us and you want to meet with us. And so Lord, as we call on your name, you've been faithful to inhabit this place, to fill this place as we praise you, as we worship you, as we lift you up. Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would draw us to you. God, that you would cause your word to come alive, that it would speak to us, that it would speak to our situation today, what we're going through, what we're facing. Lord, that you would draw us to you. We'd become like you. We thank you for it. We worship you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together and just give them a standing ovation this morning. Let our worship team know how much we appreciate them. And then you can be seated this morning. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here and being a part. This morning we're going to receive our morning tithes and offerings if the ushers will come and help us to receive that. Uh, it is Mission Sunday. I know we had missionaries here last weekend, and it was an incredible weekend, and we're so thankful for that. And as we shared before, so many uh, people give to missions all the time. There's no one set time that's right to do it or that you have to do it. But we like to have a, a set Sunday of the month where we put some emphasis on it. We share with you what's going on, what God's doing, and we've heard a lot of that over the last week. And so thank you so much for responding, for setting faith promises to give monthly towards missions and for supporting what God is doing around the world. We're excited to see it and partner with even more missionaries. Um, so let's pray for this offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you've blessed us. We thank you for the good news that we get to hear today, Lord, as we're even now preparing to turn to your word and to read, to receive, and to respond. Lord, we recognize there's people around the world that are in need of that opportunity for the very first time. And Lord, we have the opportunity to give, to make a difference in our city, in our state, around our country and around the world. Would you do that? Would you take this offering, multiply it, not only to meet the needs, to fulfill the vision that you've called us to, but Lord, that we can send missionaries with the message around the world. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. 
God bless you as you give today. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, we'll be in Nehemiah 1 and 2 today. And today we're starting a new sermon series, but it's going to be one that's probably going to sound a little familiar to you, and possibly even one that you were maybe wondering if I had forgotten or if I was ever going to get back to it, because this sermon series was one that I talked to you about way back in November when we uh, announced that God was calling us to step out in faith and begin the process of building a new building. And then in December, we had a special family meeting where I told you again that this was coming and that, that, that we were going to have this sermon series. Well, here it is on March 1st, and I'm keeping my promise, okay? So this sermon series, it's a special one because I, I've been planning and praying, and I just believe that God is going to use this not only to speak to you in your everyday life, although that will happen, and I believe it will. This is speaking to the vision and the direction of the church where God is taking us. And um, it's all a part, about the part that we play in that process. And so if you remember way back in November at the, at the service at the fairgrounds, I challenged you to join me and go all in towards all that God has for us. Not just uh, a new building, um, but to be the church that he wants us to be. Well, over the next five weeks, I want to share with you what I believe it looks like for us to be all in, to go all in after all that God has for us. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 through 3, it says this. It says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. Now, before we can go much further, I want to explain to you a little bit what's going on because the book of Nehemiah kind of opens uh, abruptly to this, this, uh, this story and this account. And uh, it's unclear if you don't know a little bit of the history of what's going on, what exactly is happening. So if anyone remembers uh, when the, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt and Moses led them out. Anyone there? Anyone remember that story? There were slaves in, in Egypt. Moses led them out. They wandered through the wilderness and then God used Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. The people got established, and uh, they, they were settled in the promised land. They were receiving the, the promise that God had for them, and they decided that they wanted a king. So they chose Saul. And we know the story about how, how Saul was never really a great king. And then David came on the scene, and he became king. And I'm moving kind of fast, but stay with me because we're going somewhere. Um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Solomon, the son of King David, he became the king and he built the temple during that time. And uh, after Solomon was king, the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom did not do very well. Almost immediately from the start, they chose terrible kings one after another and they received uh, the consequences of those choices. And Judah did a little bit better. Initially, they chose some good kings. They would choose a good one and then kind of choose a bad one and then choose a good one again when they realized the consequences. And, and so they actually uh, did a little bit better than the northern kingdom. Uh, they, they survived for another 136 years. Um, but it's amazing how choices matter and how there are consequences for our actions. Well, finally, in 722 BC, the Assyrians laid siege to the northern kingdom. And when we were in the Holy Lands uh, uh, a few months ago, there was a picture, actually, of uh, Tel Lachish, which is a place where the Assyrians also uh, would, would uh, lay siege. And there's a 
picture of a siege ramp that they actually created to get through the walls. And this is from that same time period when the Assyrians are coming in and they're attacking the northern kingdom. And so they, they conquered, they captured, and they deported the Israelites of the northern kingdom. And then Judah goes on for another 136 years, but they also finally suffer the consequences of their bad choices, turning from God. They're captured not by the Assyrians, but they're captured by the Babylonians. And they are conquered, captured, and deported. So you have the northern kingdom with the Assyrians. You have the southern kingdom with the Babylonians. And then the Persians come on the scene. They show up and they, they decide that they want to rule the world. And so they conquer not only the Assyrians but also the Babylonians. And so this is during the time of Nehemiah, when Nehemiah comes on the scene. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. And so if that brings it all together, I think that history helps just a little bit. Um, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. That's, this is when the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are, are occurring. They're happening simultaneously. They're written about the same period of time in history. And so Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king of Persia, he gets this report about the things that are going on and what's going on back home in Jerusalem, how it's not going well, how the wall is broken down, the gates have been burned with fire. And let's look at Nehemiah's response in verse 4. Nehemiah 1.4 says, As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept. And I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I want you to get this picture in your mind today. Nehemiah is 800 miles away from Jerusalem. He lives in a palace. He's the cupbearer for the king. His job is to sample the king's food and the king's wine to make sure it's not poisoned. Which, as long as it's not poisoned, that's a pretty nice gig, I suppose. I don't know how you envision slavery, but to me, this doesn't seem like the worst job that you could have, right? I mean, you're serving in the palace, you're drinking the best wine in the world, you're eating the best food that there is in the world, I imagine, and there's no real threat to Persia during this time. Now, a few years down the road, uh, these people called the Romans would come in and they would start to change history a little bit. But during this time in Nehemiah, it kind of seems like a pretty cushy job. He's, he's doing pretty well. He's flourishing in, in this time period. Yet he gets this news and his heart breaks with empathy for the situation that's happening in Jerusalem. We can learn something from Nehemiah here that it's okay to enjoy the situation that you're in. It's okay to appreciate the circumstances in life. It's not a bad thing to have nice things or, or experience favor or to be blessed. What is a bad thing is to fail to understand that all that you have has been given to you by God, and it's not just for you, but it's to flow through you towards others. That's right. God has been unbelievably gracious towards us, and we, in turn, are to be unbelievably gracious towards others. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah's heart not only breaks with empathy, but it moves him to action. I have two questions for you today, and then a challenge, and then we'll end and be done. The first question, does your heart break with empathy for the things that are going on in your city, in our city? I shared with you back in November some of the needs in our community, nearly 40,000 people, but currently only about 20% of them regularly attend a church. There's a lot of unchurched people at our doorstep, and if you read the newspaper or you listen to the things that are happening around our town, you'll discover that there's a lot of people in our community that desperately need to discover new life in Christ. There's hurting people. There's lost people. There's desperate people. We have the answers. Jesus is the answer. He's not only the answer for the missionary to take to the people in Africa, he's the answer for us to take tomorrow when we go to work. 
Tomorrow when we wake up and go to school, Jesus is the answer for our community. Yeah. Right. And so I wonder, does our heart break with empathy for the things in our community the way that it did for Nehemiah and his? Nehemiah was flourishing, but he wasn't focused on his own situation. He had empathy for the needs of others. Does our heart break for our community or are we just focused on ourselves? Second question, does your heart break to the point that you're willing to be moved to action? It's one thing to have empathy. It's one thing to acknowledge that there's needs around you. It's another thing to say, you know what, I can do something about this. In November, I asked you to go all in with me, and people stood that day, and it was such a powerful moment, one that I'll, I'll never forget. But let me tell you something, as powerful as that was, it's easy to stand in that room. It's easy to stand in this room. It's not as easy to take a stand out there. Nehemiah would face challenges and opposition and enemies, and you and I will as well. You need to put on the armor of God. Cindy did a great job this morning of explaining about the breastplate of righteousness. I encourage you, if you haven't been coming a little early before this service, to come to the adult Bible class. Come and be a part of it. It's about the armor of God. It's between the services at 10 o'clock. It's powerful. We need to be ready to put on the armor of God to take a stand because we are in a battle. There will be opposition. Are you really all in. Are you really ready to go to battle and take a stand and to act and to, to, to allow the empathy, the compassion to move you to do something? If we're going to be all in, not just to build an extraordinary building, you know, a new building will be great. With a new building, we're going to reach lost people like never before. We're going to equip lifelong followers of Jesus Christ like never before. We're going to reach the next generation like never before. But you see, it's not just about the building. The building's a tool. But being all in is about being the church that God has called us to be before we have the building that he's called us to build. We can build a great building, but that doesn't make us a great church. Over the next five weeks, I want to challenge us with what it means to be all in and to see the story from, from Nehemiah and to learn some lessons from what Nehemiah did when God called him to a task that was bigger than himself, that was uh, represented by building walls and gates, but really was about rebuilding the community of God and what God wanted to do in the lives and the hearts of people primarily. The first thing that Nehemiah did and the first thing I'm going to challenge you to do is to pray. Amen. Here today we all know that we should pray. I doubt that if I asked us to, to do a poll by a raise of hands, that anyone would say, I never knew that I should pray. This is the first time I'm ever hearing this. What is this prayer thing that you speak of? No one, no one really thinks that. All of us probably realize that we should pray, but we also probably would all say that we don't pray like we should. We realize we should pray, we don't pray like we should. Nehemiah teaches us how to pray. He got the news about Jerusalem. He was moved to action. He wept and he mourned, but more importantly, he fasted and he prayed. And there's a couple ways that Nehemiah prayed and that we can pray. Number one, he prayed deliberately. And we have to pray deliberately. It's important that we spend time in prayer. If you grew up in church, you probably have been encouraged at some point or another to spend some time in prayer, to set aside some daily time. Maybe you've heard it referred to as quiet time. I never liked calling it that because it kind of sounds like you're in trouble. 
Oh, you got to go sit in quiet time now, you know? You're in time out. you got to go take a nap. And I never liked taking a nap. I still don't like taking a nap. And so that's kind of lame. But prayer isn't lame. But the, the idea behind setting aside some time intentionally and deliberately is important. You schedule the things that matter. If you don't schedule things, we're all busy. We live in a culture that's all about being busy. We do way more than any one person should probably ever do. We don't know how to say no to things that we need to say no to, maybe even sometimes good things, but we don't say yes to the things that we need to say yes to, and it's because we schedule the wrong things. We don't schedule anything, and so we allow the thing that screams the loudest to win. Prayer is never going to scream the loudest. I mean, you may hit rock bottom and realize you have nowhere else to go. But we've got to set aside time to pray deliberately. Nehemiah set aside time for prayer. And in verse 5 through 11 of chapter 1, you see this long prayer that he prayed. He repented. It's a powerful prayer. I encourage you to go and read it. It encompasses most of the chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Go and read that whole chapter this week or, or later today, and you'll discover the power of his prayer. Nehemiah's prayer was powerful because he believed that God that he was praying to was powerful. He quoted and prayed scripture. We see him pray Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, almost word for word. He says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. Nehemiah believed that God was a God who keeps his promise. It's what God's word says that God is. And so Nehemiah was just... In, in this intentional time of prayer, was taking God at his word. He was claiming the promises of God over his city. He was spending this powerful time in prayer. Not only Nehemiah, but many great men of God have been men of prayer. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray, to pray than to be a great preacher because Jesus never taught his disciples to preach, but he taught them how to pray. Dr. Curtis Hudson, he said, there is more that you can do after you pray, but there is nothing that you can do until you pray. Yeah. In Jeremiah 33, God says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Amen. If you don't have a deliberate and an intentional prayer time, you need to. Start with just a couple minutes a day, but schedule it. Let it be uninterrupted. Turn your cell phone off. Pull out your Bible, and if you don't know what else to pray, then pray Scripture. Pray the promises of God. Pray for your city. Pray for lost people. Pray over your calendar. Pray over your schedule and the meetings that you have set up. Pray over your checkbook and see what God does and how he answers prayer in your life. Nehemiah not only prayed deliberately, but he prayed spontaneously. We see in Nehemiah chapter 2, you might have to just flip the page to get there, but it's all part of the same uh, situation and, and uh, the same uh, time frame that's going on. We don't know the exact time, but he's just finished this deliberate prayer time. But he's still troubled by the situation. But it was time for him to go to work. How many have ever been there? Prayer time's over. The time you scheduled for prayer is ending. You should have scheduled more time. Because that's where your five minutes grows to 10, 15, and all that. But it's time to go to work, and so you pack up and you go. And that's what happens for Nehemiah. His prayer time has come to an end, but he's still troubled, and he's still carrying this heavy, heavy situation. But he's the cupbearer, so he took the wine and he gave it to the king. And it says he had never been sad in the king's presence before. So the king's like, what is going on? Now, I've never had a cupbearer. But if I thought that I needed a cupbearer, and there was a situation where I thought that it was important for me to have someone that would 
taste my wine and eat my food. And it wasn't just to make sure that it was like the right temperature. Realize like the king's making sure no one is trying to kill him. So if the guy that is my cupbearer that tastes my wine, eats my food every day, and has never been sad a day in his life, all of a sudden he comes in and brings me my wine and my food, and he's not looking good, I'm going to hold on just a minute before I take a sip. I want to make sure what's going on here. Are you having a bad day, or is there something I need to know about my wine? I don't know that that's what happened, but I can imagine. You can imagine with me if you like. Is this guy sad, or is my wine going to kill me? Nehemiah tells the king about the news that he got from Jerusalem. And the next part is awesome. Verse 4. The king says, what is it that you want? And Nehemiah says, not that he replied, first of all. Not that he began to list what he wanted or not anything else. But it says that Nehemiah prayed to the God of heaven. Before Nehemiah responded to the king of Persia, he first prayed to the king of heaven and earth. It's so important what he did. It says he prayed. I don't think this was a long and deliberate prayer in a quiet setting. I don't think he's quoting scripture. I don't think that this is the long and lengthy prayer that we see in Nehemiah chapter 1. This is different. Nehemiah is at work. He's in the palace. The king is trying to get this thing resolved so he can just go on with a good lunch and drink his wine in peace. And he just asked a question, but Nehemiah prays right there on the job. I don't think it was long and flowery. I don't think he quoted scripture word for word. I don't think he recited the Lord's Prayer, probably because the Lord's Prayer hadn't even been prayed yet. <laughs> it was probably something closer to, oh God, help me to ask for the right thing. Nehemiah just prayed spontaneously. And I think this is the kind of prayer that Paul's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says to Pray without ceasing. It's not a, a time that where you just spend all your day in prayer and you never go to work and you never do anything else. It's just that prayer is constantly on your lips. And I think it's important that we set aside time for deliberate prayer and we have those moments that are uninterrupted and that we can go deep and that we can claim the promises of God and we can be reminded of what his word says and who he is and that we can listen. But there's also moments that we just pray in the moment from the gut, spontaneous prayers. Both are important and both are needed. Both are part of a healthy prayer life. Amen. Don't just do one and not the other. I know we get busy and sometimes we think, well, I, I do the spontaneous prayer thing. I pray all the time. That's great and that's one part of a prayer life. But you also need the set aside times, even if it's just a few minutes that you say, I'm just going to spend some time with me and Jesus today in this moment. And it's great to have that scheduled time, but it's also important to remember that he's with us all day long. And that we can go to him at any time. Don't do one without the other. Both forms of prayer get the attention of God. The third thing that we see is that Nehemiah prays expectantly. He didn't just set aside time to pray so that he could check that off of his list of things to do because that would make him a, a good Jew. He didn't pray on the job while talking to the king so that he could look super religious. Nehemiah expected God to answer his prayer. He prayed expectantly. The long prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1, it's not an easy, cute, comfortable nursery rhyme of a prayer. 
He's repenting for his sin. He's acknowledging that God's word has said that when we sin and when we're disobedient, that we'll experience the consequences and the judgment of God. But if we would return and if we would humble ourselves and if we would seek God, that he is faithful to forgive and to restore. And he's claiming these promises on his own life. And he's claiming these promises over the people that are in Jerusalem. And he's understanding how God's word works. And he's expecting God to respond. Nehemiah knows that God not only said that there's consequences if you repent, he said, I will forgive you and I will restore. And Nehemiah is claiming those promises of God. He's taking God at his word. We should as well. We should pray expectantly. We're praying to a God that's alive, that hears our prayers. God is able to move in your life. He's able to move in the situation that you're in. He's able to give you the right answer to the question that you're being asked. God can heal our country and he can move in our city. And we have to pray expecting him to do it. Amen. Amen. A few things I want to share with you in terms of things that you can pray for if you're looking for a few things to pray for. And a whole part of this series is one part of it is how can we be a part of being all in and what God has called us to do as we're moving uh, toward what he's called us to with building this building. Uh, but it's bigger than just that. I don't know if you realize this, and I may create some panic here this morning, but we're six weeks away from Easter today. Don't you love it when someone's like, yeah, we're only 51 weeks till Christmas, you know. But we're only six till Easter. Last year, Easter Sunday was our biggest attendance of the year with 181 people and many people making decisions for Christ. Now's the time to pray for Easter. Would you pray for our services? Would you pray for the people that you're going to invite? Would you pray that God would move? In November, we shared with you about going all in and stepping out in faith, and we put this building up for sale, and God is moving in that, and we'll share more with you about that this evening at the family meeting. But in addition to that, over the last two weeks, we've been having meetings with people from the church. Many of you have been there that are willing and interested in helping with construction. Yesterday, we met with a building and design committee looking at what we need as a church going forward. What do we need with the, the people that we have now? What do we believe we're going to need as we grow? And what areas of ministry do we want to see increase in? What is the church and the future going to look like? And there's a lot of things that we need, and there's a lot of things that we need to do. We're going to need to sell this building. We're going to need to sell 25 acres of land just north of here. If you don't know where it is, when you get on 287, head north, really the first place that you can turn right that's not a driveway is, is Huron Street. And our property is just right on, just south of Huron Street right there. You can kind of see the sign from, the, from 287, but if you just turn off there, you'll see it. We need to sell that property. We're going to need to raise some money, and some of you have already begun giving toward that. There's a lot of things that we're going to need to do if we're going all in, but the first thing that I'm asking you to do is to pray. Amen. And don't just pray for a new building. That's fine. You can pray for that, but more importantly, pray for our city. Pray that building or no building, that we would be the church that God has called us to be. Pray that God would use us to transform a city. 80% of our city, Laramie, that doesn't regularly attend a church, and many of those who need to experience, maybe for the first time, what it means to have new life in Christ, what it means to be a lifelong follower of Christ, what it means to grow in your relationship with him. We've got to set aside some deliberate times of prayer, even if it's just a few minutes of each day. I'm asking you if you would be all in to the point that it would move you to action of praying 
for our church and praying that God would use us in the process and, and how he wants to use us, what that looks like. What is it, God, that you're calling us to do specifically? Would you, would you give us favor with the right people? Would you open the right doors of opportunity? Pray deliberately. Schedule those times. But I also want to encourage you to pray spontaneously. Maybe God just brings it to your mind at some point and you just pray a prayer while you're on the clock, while you're, it's a prayer that's under your breath. Maybe you, you make a decision every time that you drive north from here on 287 and you pass that property that you're just going to utter a, a spontaneous prayer that God would give us favor, that he would do what he wants to do, that he would use us. Whatever it is that you pray, just pray for that church property. Pray for the process. Pray for all that God is doing. Pray that God gives us favor with the buyers and favor with the city. And pray expectantly that God is listening and he's active and he's able to respond. All in prayer is about believing that God will do what he said he will do. Claiming his promises and taking him at his word. We sang it just a little while earlier. This is how we fight our battles. And being all in is going to require us to fight some battles. It's going to require us to, to move from a place of desire and a place of empathy, a place of seeing the needs to a place of action. And the first response that we should have is the first response that Nehemiah had, which is, I'm going to pray. I'm going to set aside time to pray, and I'm going to continuously pray. And this is how I'm going to begin to fight this battle. And I want us to do that right now. I want us to take a moment to pray right now. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but I want to encourage you and invite you to pray along with me. Don't just listen to my prayer, but let's just pray. Let's just take a moment right here, right now. I don't know if this is a deliberately scheduled. I, I thought about it. God gave me this idea, but it, maybe it's just a spontaneous one for you. But God hears the prayer. I just want us to pray. I want us to pray for this situation, pray for this church, and pray for all that God is calling us to do. So God, you have called us to step out. You have called us to go all in, not only for the purpose of building a church that this city needs, but to become the church that this city needs. So God, would you build us into the church that you would have us to be? That's our prayer, God. Lord, would you break our hearts for the city and for the people around us that need you? God, we're so blessed, but don't let us be so inward focused that we miss the people around us that are in need. Now, just as Nehemiah had a burden and a passion for the assignment that you gave him to build the walls and the gates of Jerusalem, God, would you give us even a greater passion for our city? God, would you break our heart and move us to tears, but even more so, God, move us to prayers. Help us to be all in in prayer for the assignment that you've given us for this city. We would set aside deliberate times of prayer with you. That we would schedule this time and we'd claim the promises of God over our city. That we would claim the promises of God over this church, God. Those things that have been spoken long ago over this church. You are a faithful God that keeps his word. You're a God that keeps his promises. And we're going to see the promises fulfilled in this place. Lord, your word says that it's your desire that no one would perish apart from you, but that everyone would have life in you. And so, God, we pray that over this city. God, I pray for the people that have yet to experience new life in Christ. Lord, I pray that they would. I pray that you'd use us. God, we come against the attack of the enemy and the spirit of this age that exists in this city and in our culture. And, Lord, we just speak life. 
We come against depression and suicide in this city, and God, we speak life. I thank you for the people in this church that work in, in different fields and counseling and, and therapy in different areas, and God, I pray that you would use those professionals in our church, that you give them wisdom and direction and empower them by your Holy Spirit to be your hands and your feet in this world today. Would you open new doors of opportunity, which really is ministry outside the walls of this church? We pray for our schools, God. I pray for the schools in Laramie, each and every school in this city. God, for the University of Wyoming, we pray today that your name would be known on every school campus. God, we pray for our teachers and our students and our administrators, God, and remind them that they take you with them on that campus and in their classrooms every day. God, we pray for the physical church building and the process that you've called us to for the property that needs to be sold. We pray for the finances that need to be raised and for everything that needs to happen. God, would you open the doors? Would you provide as only you can? Would you give wisdom and direction to myself, the leaders of this church, and the people of this church who you have called to step out in faith? God, we, we see your hand. We see how it is that you've worked and you've brought us to the place that we are today. And we know that you didn't bring us here to stop now. We know that you're not done, that you, you who began the good work in us, you're going to be faithful to complete that in us, God. So Lord, we pray for that today. We've heard your call to step out in faith and to trust you and to respond to you and we do that today we respond once again to you by saying God here we are we are all in may this church Lord Lord with New Life Church be known as a church that's powerful in prayer that's all in in prayer that deliberately we set aside and schedule consistent times of prayer but also that spontaneously we just constantly in communication with you. But Lord, more than all, expectantly, Lord, we expect to see you move. We know that you're a God who keeps his word. We know that you're a faithful God. And so, Lord, we just trust you. We take you at your word today. We claim the promises of God and we stand on your word. Lord, would you do what only you're able to do in our city? God, would you use us to be who you desire for us to be? Would you meet every need that we have? God, I pray for every person in this room today that, Lord, you would just move in their life. You see situations and you see the areas of need. You see exactly what's going on. God, I pray that you would break chains where the enemy has tried to hold captive. God, I pray that you would move in family situations, in relationship situations, in finances, in businesses, whatever it is, God. Lord, you see and you know. God, I pray that you would be God over each and every situation. God, I pray that our first response to anything and everything that comes our way would be prayer. We thank you for it. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.